Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today for another episode of Death Is Not The End, the podcast where we're all dead and, well, we just have to deal with what comes next, whatever that is. I'm Nat Evkin Guy, and I'll be your celebrant and guide on today's journey. On the guest list today, we have someone who could well be considered a god. He's a dungeon master, musician, and master storyteller, Mr. Gadget. I see the uh, the walls are burning a little bit. You think you're going that way, are you? Ah, probably. I've probably done something. <laughs> So we're all dead for reals. How are you feeling about that? Uh, it's mildly inconvenienced, I must say. You know, I mean, I guess it's a Thursday. I can never get the hang of Thursdays. So, you know, it happens, unfortunately. It's, it's a good day of the week to have the apocalypse. Well, yeah, you don't want it on a Friday because that ruins your weekend. So Monday's the ideal day, maybe? Monday maybe, evening? Yeah. Okay. So I sadly didn't manage to get you on for my last run of shows where the world ended, but not in a real way, obviously. It was just a plot device for a dumb podcast. But one question <laughs> I had for that was, uh, how would you uh, like the world to end, if you had a choice? Oh, I would quite like it to go out in a kind of, in a, in a general orgy of violence, but in a one that's kind of directed from the bottom upwards. So like, you know, like the poor people taking over from the rich people, and then not really understanding how to run things, but doing it in a very socialist way that ends up with us all just starving to death. So how the rich people see anarchy going, really? Kind of, yeah, but I just want to kind of see them torn limb from limb. That's fair. It's a nice fun ending. Yeah, a bit of anarchy never hurt anybody. It's an interesting way to go. Hmm. I mean, apart from the people it actually hurts, but you know. In this case, everybody. Everybody, yeah. But mainly the rich people. Uh, At least the rich people first, so we can watch and laugh. (laughs) So what happens after we die then? Any firmly rooted religious beliefs you got? I no no no. Uh, I was I, I was brought up to be reasonably anti-religious. Um, I, I I was listening to the one you had with Rob Jones, um, mm. where he did this. I did quite like his idea that you know that kind of it all goes dark and then you wake up in a new body. I quite like that idea, um, new dimension or whatever than something like that. Um, I. I don't know. I I I kind I kind of feel like it, it. Maybe you know we get to the end of it, it all goes off, and then you get a game over screen, and your score comes up, and then you wake up and find out it's all been some kind of very shit virtual reality where you work eight hours a day for an arsehole. So matrixy simulation. A uh, bit more better than better than life, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up as you Dwayne Dibley. Well, yeah. Yeah, I haven't quite got the teeth for that, but I'm pretty sure I've got the plastic sandals somewhere from a summer many years ago. Okay, so, as I said, you're a dungeon master, so you're a bit of a god. You're in charge of um, people, maybe building worlds. I, I try to be, yes. So, if you're in charge of creating a human, that's my current conundrum with the show. Sorry, uh, my life. Uh, my afterlife. Kayfabe. And I'm having a bit of trouble with all this uh, creating a human nonsense what physical attributes would you give them? So am I creating a human for myself or just in general? Uh, to start off like the human race. So creationism, Adam and Eve. Oh, How are you going right. about that? In- in- intelligent design. Well, Yeah, are you going to go with the standard two arms, two legs, one head? I feel like it's gotten pretty far, um, certainly. I think there are design improvements you could make to the human body. Uh, for instance, maybe carapace armor where we're all the fragile and squishy creatures 
Um, certainly, our our prodigious need for calories. You know, if you could, you could maybe engineer it so the body was more efficient. You only have to put a little bit in to get the most out of it. Mm. Um, anxiety. Now we want to get rid of that. Certainly, yeah. and you know, general maybe maybe some of the new, more neurodivergent things, depression. Get that off there. The brain needs a bit of a tune up. I will admit. Um, and uh, teeth. You know, the, the the whole thing that you get one set of teeth for your life, I, I don't like that. That seems like an oversight. Mm. Um, maybe an easier replacement service or possibly, you know, one falls out and you can kind of kickstart growth of another one to replace it. So would that be for like all bones? So if you break an arm or lose an arm, it grows back. Well, I mean, if you break an arm, it can heal this is already. But maybe it would be nice, like, yeah, if you if, mm. if you lost a limb in a car crash or whatever or space crash or whatever whatever we end up in this kind of reborn future then yeah it, w- it would be nice maybe over the space of a, of a few weeks or a couple of months you can just regrow a limb regrow an organ just still going with the breakable skeleton then i, th- I, th- I kind of think it's necessary there, there will there, there are edge cases where you know the ability to have your arm lopped off might save your life like that bloke that got stuck for 127 hours you know if he couldn't lop off his own arm he wouldn't have got out of there yeah, it's true, true. And there would be a nice film though. with James Franco. <laughs> so, like always, when we get to this point, we give you a few options. Um, you've okay. also come here, you've spoken to Kendra with a cue about all of this. Yes. And you're opting for the life story route to get into the goodest place. Yes, that's what I'm hoping for. So for this, you'll be uh, presenting a slideshow pitch of your life story. And to assist with the people who aren't able to watch the show visually, you get to score it with some popular music. Excellent. So set the scene for us and take it away. Okay, so the first one I, I decided to bring for this one is a song that it it, it started my growing up phase, shall we say. Uh, All the Small Things by Blink-182 came out in 1999. Uh, and I was just a pup at the time. I was 13 years old. And this was the point where I kind of, quote-unquote, discovered music. Or rather, discovered music that wasn't my parents' music. And I started to kind of define an identity. Um, it's a objectively crap song. <laughs> it has it lyrics that make no sense and consists of four chords. And if you ever see, hear a live version of them doing it, you'll want to tear your own ears off. Because Tom DeLonge can't sing. But it was one of those songs that it was, it was safe enough that, like, you know, my parents didn't care about me listening to it. You know, it wasn't like angry metal or angry rap music. Um, it wasn't kind of controversial or surreal. It had a video that was reasonably funny, taking the piss out of existing music at the time. Um, and this kind of developed a love for pop punk for me. A love that endures to this day. I really enjoy pop punk music because punk. I mean, I like punk music as well, and a lot of other music. Yeah. But I think with punk with pop punk music. There was this wave of it, kind of the late 90s to mid 2000s, um, where it hadn't quite become fully commodified yet. Like, I think Blink 22 were the first band that were very um, record label y, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of songs that out there that spoke to teenagers in a way that was safe and encouraging, but also kind of a little bit rebellious, but also talked about more emotions than than if you went back to like kind of more traditional punk music that was kind of angry and social issues and mm. kill Thatcher and shit like that. Um, whereas <laughs> this kind of punk music 
kind of tapped into more emotional people and kind of led into the kind of the early emo phases and then stuff like that. So yeah, this this song and this band connected with me. I really enjoyed the album. Um, and yeah, it started a love of rock music and guitar music. Actually, it wasn't long after this that I got my first guitar. Um, Obviously, four chords quite easy to play. I think this was actually the first song I learned. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, was it it's C, G, and F. That's about it. And then occasionally an E flat. <laughs> say that one of the only songs I know how to play is uh, "When I Come Around" by Green Day. Yeah, which is uh, three chords. <laughs> F sharp, C sharp, E flat, or something like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's three chords, but yeah. I don't know what you mean. It's, it's the music that sort of. Listen to it's a different, bit different to the original punk, because used to know um, Clash, Sex yeah. Pistols. It's like a bit too gritty for a teenager back then, or too old. I yeah, think this is like, I, I, it's I fun, and they say bum a lot. Yeah, I think especially for a young teenager as well. Like, I think if I'd been like 16 or 17, I probably wouldn't have connected with it as much. Hmm. Um, but Steffi's kind of like being 13, listening to that. It's kind of like, it is definitely pop music, but it's got guitars in it, and guitars are like yeah. the driving force of it. It's a good gateway drug to pop punk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so that was kind of me starting this kind of quest into music, I guess we would say, because I, when that came, after that came out, I just started to devour music. Like my parents had Sky, I was constantly watching like Kerrang and the MTV and stuff like that, and just trying to like devour as much different kind of music as I could get. Back when he played music, I mean, it, it was only occasionally then. It was only was it, what was that one on MTV? It was like Total Request Live. They had some arseholes in London doing it with like <laughs> sat in a studio with a window on. And there's people going, "Hi, mom!" in the background. Did we have that? Yeah, we had our own version of that. Oh, I remember we had Most Wanted. That was a one as well, and like like people ringing up like an 0906 number to request fucking Britney Spears for the fiftieth time. It was, it was going to be on the rotation regardless. Oh, I hate that! It's when you get radio shows, it was all oh, request hour. What, what songs you want requested? Oh, can I hear Alice Cooper? School's out. Not heard that in at least five minutes. <laughs> I'll play something yeah. from his early glam stuff, you know, something a bit different. Yeah, or just play something good, or like something that isn't the most overplayed song out of someone's. Like fucking, you go to Alice Cooper, at least play Poison. At least that was a, like a decent song, a banging guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, something of Go to Hell, you know, a bit different. <laughs> just something that's not schools out <laughs> every fucking time. Yeah, I've heard fans of his like, yeah, I'm going to go see Alice Cooper. You haven't played Schooled Out, Schools Out by the Encore. The walking axes. I've heard that song so many times. Can't can't be asked. <laughs> Bless him. Okay, next up. Next up, we have um, "One Step Closer" by Linkin Park, which was and I want to. I, I kind of wanted to put these two f- songs in as kind of formative songs for me because this was. Whereas Blink One and Two was the my gateway into rock music, this was my gateway into metal. Um, and prim- primarily into new metal. I mean, I know Lin- Linkin Park aren't the heaviest band in the world. Um, they were this kind was... of the, uh, the, I think, the joke band when I was into it. Cause it's like, oh yeah, Linkin Park, you're a bit mm, not great, are they? And they listen back and go, yeah, Corn weren't that good either. Yeah, <laughs> or Limp Bizkit. Yeah, they, 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 I, I have a feeling. That, I mean, this song is not the best song on the album, certainly. Mm. Um, but I think this one was put out because it was the closest one to something like Corn or Limp Bizkit who were doing the business at the time. And it had a bit of rap and it had a bit of singing and screaming. Uh, and I really 
weird dark shit video that they just recorded in a tunnel one night in New York, I think. Um, but I think this one was this one was an opener for me as well that songs could be meaningful because so this one came out two thousand three. So what I'd have been sixteen then. Starting, I was about sixteen then. Yeah. Um, and this one, that was when I was kind of starting to battle with a bit, a little bit of depression here and there. Like, you know, just like things that happen. When you're a teenager, life's really fucking confusing and you don't know what's what. And having to deal with a mental health issue on top of that, an undiagnosed one. Um, and this entire album, actually, the Hybrid Theory album, a lot of Chester Bennington's lyrics kind of reflected stuff that I was thinking or feeling at the time. Uh, and I didn't understand why. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I really didn't understand why, but there was this connection here and it kind of made me realise how much deeper music could be. Which seems like a really trite thing to say, because of course music can be deep. It's always been deep, but me being in my first few years of kind of exploring music and my only general exposure, because obviously in the UK we don't really have rock radio or anything like that. Mm. All I'm seeing is stuff that's on Kerrang! or like MTV and that. And that tends to be the charting stuff and the vapid stuff. Like, I'm not going to get an emotional feedback from fucking Limp Biscuit, am I? Than maybe childish rage, <laughs> but like it, it, it felt like a like a more like a more mature band, which is ironic because everyone thought they were like put together by a record label because Corn mm. were big. Um, but yeah, they just they spoke to me, you know, in a way that I don't think music had really yet, um, other than just impressing me. Um, and it also like, I mean, like the, the bands like Papa Roach, they did a lot of the similar kind of stuff, like emotional music from a broken home but I didn't connect with that because I didn't have that experience I had a rather happy childhood mm. um, whereas the Linkin Park stuff felt like more deeper emotional stuff rather than um, oh my dad left and I'm mad about it you know yeah, it's a lot of the corn stuff's like that isn't it really yeah um, but I never could get on with corn so I never liked Jonathan Davis's voice <laughs> or uh, heads, not heads. Uh, fucking feel these ridiculous bass sound. I always like that. I listened to a lot of it recently, and it's it gives me a warm feeling. The thing is, we caught. <laughs> I can't listen to more than three or four songs of theirs in a row, and I'm like, yeah, that's enough. Hold on. <laughs> I used to be like a massive fan of theirs as well. I can, I can do the biggins. I can do like Adidas and Freak on a Leash and uh, stuff like that, but I can't. I can't listen to their albums. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Linkin Park, like, I devoured maybe their first four albums, absolutely back to front. Uh, and then I kind of fell off, but I wasn't, like, when Chester Bennington died, I was incredibly sad. Like, mm. he was a kind of a very big voice in my teen years. Today's, uh, was it Meteor's 20th anniversary release? It is, yeah. And they put yeah. out that, the, the lost song from it, uh, which was really, really fucking good. <laughs> I don't think I've heard it yet. I've, um... It's worth, I've it's never worth, been the biggest Slinger Bolt fan, but I've warmed to them recently and I've got their album, downloaded it today because it's like yeah, 20 bands for us, it's popped up. I was like, oh, okay, give it a listen. Enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 it's worth worth giving it a listen. It's a good song. It's um, it's And it's not like remixed or remastered or anything like that. It's literally as they recorded it back then. They just left it off the album because it sounded a bit too much like Numb. They had, like Numb was like the biggest, like the song that they could have as a single. Mm. But this one's like equally good, just has the same vibe to it. Next up, we have the absolute stone cold classic from the seventies, uh, "Sultans of Swing" by Dire Straits. Now, this one, um, this one's a big one for me because this was uh, this was a song I was associated with my dad, and like when I was a kid, you know, we go like driving on a Sunday or whatever your dad, and he's got like a Dire Straits 
uh, tape in the player. Um, but this is the one that he would sing along to, and the one that he knew the lyrics. And I very rarely saw him sing to things. Um, and it's just one that was connected to. And I remember my dad always, at the, the, the guitar solo at the end, he'd turn it up and, and like, you know, everyone everyone knows that big lick at the end of it, the, the big rising one. Um, and I'd made it a mission when I started learning guitar that I was going to learn how to play Sultan's a Swing. And the day I nailed it was the day I knew I could play guitar. <laughs> like, I'd been plinking away at guitar and, like, like learning songs and stuff like that, but it's kind of like one of those things that you set a target for yourself and that you sit and you learn it. And you go, okay, yeah, actually, I, 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 I can say I'm not learning guitar now. I, I can play guitar. Uh, and I remember just sitting them down and just playing it through, like, all the way through, like, all the little lead lines, all Mark Knopfler's kind of little <laughs> embellishments and stuff. And I got to the end, I nailed the solo, and I've never seen me dad so proud of us. And it's kind of like a really big fucking core memory of mine. Big moment of pride. That was the Brothers in Arms album, was it? No, it was um, it was their first one. I think it was off Dire Straits. Oh man, I'm not big on the Dire Straits knowledge, me. That was my first album I ever bought, but I think that was the first album for a lot of people, especially ones who grew up in the eighties, because it was one of the big first, the first big CD albums, wasn't it? Yeah, I got it on vinyl. Well, yeah, because CD players were like four thousand pounds. So, what was the first CD you ever bought then? Uh. Oh. <laughs> so the first CD single I ever bought uh, was when I was a kid, and it was um, Witch Doctor by the Cartoons. <laughs> There's okay. no for taste when you're a child. <laughs> the first al- the first like actual album like when I was into music that I bought myself. I think that's when you really count it because when you're young, you kind yeah. of buy random stuff and you're not. Yeah, you sure, buy shit that yeah. you've just seen on the telly. Yeah. Uh, first one I bought myself. It might actually have been Meteora. Not Meteora, Hybrid Theory. If I'm thinking back. It was either it was either Hybrid Theory or uh, the Marshall Mathers LP. Hmm. Did you albums. start CDs or did you have tapes? No, I had tapes, but I never bought my own tapes. Like, I had tapes bought for me. like Because, again, I wasn't really that into music that much until I was a teenager. Um, but you know, I had a I had like a, a cassette radio thing, and like I remember my parents buying me for Christmas. This would have been 1994, um, so I was what eight, and my parents got me like a little clock radio thing with a tape deck uh, for Christmas, and they bought me PJ and Duncan's album, <laughs> <laughs> the one with Ready to Rumble on it. <laughs> National Treasures, uh, yeah. <laughs> Still alarmed to the state to find out they had more than one song. <laughs> they had Let's Get Rid of the Rumble, and then they had... Um... They had a ballad one called Perfect Ten or something like that. They did a ballad. They did a ballad. It's a rap ballad. It's fucking... <laughs> I went back and listened to it a few years ago, because I think it's all on Spotify. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> because it's done with such conviction. Just yeah, PJ, <laughs> PJ Duncan's on Spotify. <laughs> Let's oh. not play them, shall we? No. So next one, um, bit of a left turn, maybe? Maybe a right turn? Maybe left? <laughs> yeah, left. Uh, yeah, so this, one, so this one's called uh, The Bricklayer Song by the Corries. Dear sir, I write this note to you to tell you of my plight. 
For at the time of writing it, I'm not a pretty sight. My body is all black and blue, my face a deathly grey. And I write this note. Uh, Corey's a, um, a Scottish folk duo. Were, I think. I think they're probably dead now. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, they're a, they're a Scottish folk duo. Um, and so in 2008, I was due to get married. Um, I did get married, but um, leading up to it, my grandfather was really ill. Um, and he had a few stints in hospital. And he'd been constantly telling me that he was going to make the wedding. He was absolutely going to be at the wedding. He had to be at that wedding. And two months before the wedding, he passed away of various ailments and age and lung cancer and stuff like that. And the Corries, uh, is a, this song we had played um, at the wedding uh, to honour him. Because it's a song that reminds me of him. Because my grand Alec was a really cheeky Scottish chappy. And he would constantly take the piss out of people. And I remember he would, he liked the Corries. He liked people like Foster and Alan and like all these kind of Scottish folky people. Um, but, you know, a song that tells the story, uh, the, the old folk tale of a bricklayer who's a bit of an idiot and tries to like get bricks from the top of a building to the bottom by putting them in a barrel and hoisting them up and gets dragged up and then knocked down and dragged up and knocked down repeatedly. It's just an incredible story, but it always reminds me of my granddad because that was his humour. Um, and it's something that every time I listen, like I can hear it in the background right now, and I can see my granddad's face, and it's just it's lovely, and it's kind of this big call memory for me because, you know, I, I I had all my grandparents when I was growing up, but I never really connected with them that much apart from my granddad Alec. He was like my favourite, um, and he was the one I would turn to for like to talk. He was the one that would make me laugh the most. He was the one that spent the most time with me, and I was gutted that he couldn't make the wedding, and I cried my heart out for him. Um, and I just like to honour him from time to time. And, you know, it's been, what, 15 years since he's been gone, and I still miss him. And my my love for him has outlasted that, that marriage, so... <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it. People should go and listen to this. There's only a live version out there. It's not one they ever record, they just did it live. But it makes all the better because you've got the audience laughing with them. And that works. And you can hear there's a bit where one of them breaks a little bit and he starts to giggle while he's singing. And it's just, yeah, it's a lovely song and it gives me really good feelings. As I fell towards the ground And I landed on the broken bricks The battle had scattered round Well, as I lay there on the floor, I thought I'd pass the worst. But the barrel hit the pulley wheel, and then the bottom burst. So if the Corries was a left turn, this one's going to be a hard U-turn. Because <laughs> we're going back into kind of poppy rock stuff. Uh, with I Write Sins, Not Tragedies by Panic at the Disco. Um. My ex-wife wasn't a slut, but yeah, it was a doomed marriage from the start. <laughs> uh, this song came out a couple of years before I got married, but it seems to be apt for it. Because there were people around my wedding going, oh, how long do you think it's going to last? Oh, they're not very well matched for each other, are they? And they were fucking right. <laughs> I hate those people. I know, but they were in this case, they were right. And ultimately, I hold no ill will towards my ex-wife at this point. Um, it's 
uh, we were just not right for each other and we became very toxic for each other ultimately but that's because we got married at 22 mm. and as, as a, if I can give advice to any young person listening if young people do happen to listen don't get married at 22 <laughs> live your fucking life a bit first Went to our Spotify analytics no one under 20 is listening or no one near 20 is listening <laughs> <laughs> you never know when, some, when someone gets this transmission after the human race has ended they, they, they might find this <laughs> well yeah so, so I, I, yeah, I remember my wedding day I remember it being a stressful time I remember um, the kind of casual I don't know if it's uh, probably casual sexism that all the money goes towards the bride and her entrance and I got to drive there in a Fiat Doblo that <laughs> smelled of last night's curry <laughs> I also remember just not wanting to do it, but then kind of, at the time, being intimidated by my ex, and again, just due to me not having a bit, having a spine, I wasn't, I had a mouth in my head and I never used it. I didn't want to get married at the time, and it was a bit of a mess, but we got married, and then I ended up in a relationship, stuck in a relationship I didn't want to be in, because, you know, when you're married, you kind of think, oh, I better try, because we're married, you know? Mm. Um... And I've talked about this a lot in the past. It's like, no, if it's not working, it's not working. You just have to be honest with yourself. And for the longest time, I wasn't honest with myself. And I think this song is a really good reflection on how I felt on the day. Because I was angry that people were talking like that at the wedding. But I should have listened to them. (laughs) You know? Um, But ultimately, I don't regret it. It makes me who I am. You know? It's an experience I had. Yeah. Very expensive one. Well, that's what makes us, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the experiences. You'd regret it if you didn't go through with it in the end. Probably. Mm. But then again, she probably would have broken up with me and I would have not had the thing that comes in the next song. <laughs> the next song is... The next song is White Pearl Black Oceans by Sonata Arctica. So, um, Sonata Arctica are a Finnish power metal band, um, and I've, I've loved them for a This song came out in like 2006, um, I've always adored them. Um, one of the most impressive singers in the medium. Uh, this song uh, reflects on me because, so, as I explained, I'm no longer in that marriage. And when things tend to go tits up like that you tend not to look to look after yourself your mental health very well um and this song is about mental health and this song is about being overwhelmed and kind of allowing the dark feelings to take over you when you can't see the sun um you know it's got lyrics in like 10,000 steps down round and round you know stuff like that is like you feel like the black ocean's kind of washing over you and that's what I felt. And when we came out of that relationship in 2017, I went through an incredibly self-destructive phase. Uh, drinking far too much, perpetually dating, like trying to... Because I'd, I'd been in a relationship since I was 20. Never been single since then, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know how to be an adult and be single. So I just immediately leapt onto Tinder, just trying to find people, just trying to be not alone. 
uh, and it wasn't the healthiest way to deal with things. And I kept getting like knocked back because ultimately people didn't want to date me because I was a fucking mess who hadn't gotten over the breakup of his marriage. But I couldn't see that at the time because I wasn't looking after my mental health. I mean, this um, is why people who are in marriages that are quite happy always get hit on. Yes, because they, they're confident in themselves. Yeah, radiant positivity. Yes. So I, um, yeah, so I went through this kind of horrible self-destructive phase um, from the November to the March 2018. And the March 2018, I was at the end of everything. Like, I was... I went on a date that went really badly, and instead of doing the sensible thing, going home. This is also when it was beast from the east as well, so it was, like, really snowy. Like, there were no taxis or anything. Like, I would have to walk everywhere. Um... I went ballistic. I went to the bar and I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking by myself. Um, and I remember walking home in the fucking driving snow over the bridge over the time to get back to where I lived. I climbed over the edge and I really considered killing myself because I didn't know that things could be better. It felt like no matter how much I tried to improve myself, everything just got worse. And ultimately, the reason for that was because I was being a dick and not trying to make things better. I was assuming that, I, at the time, that if I came out of this relationship, everything would magically get better. I would have money again. I would lose weight. I would get a really hot girlfriend or whatever. And it didn't work like that because the world doesn't work like that. But when you've been kind of closeted in a relationship for 10 years, you don't know how the world works. You know how your relationship worked in your little bubble of a world, but you lose track of how the real world works outside of you. And depression's a very selfish disease anyway. You become very insular to yourself. You become very concerned with your own feelings, but you become very negative towards the outside world. And that's what was happening with me. So that's what the song kind of represents to me. It's this this kind of the low moments, the, like, the, the real kind of, if you were to put this into a movie, this is the bit where everyone's annoyed with each other and have gone off just before the third act starts, you know? Mm. The second act dip before the third act rise. That was when this came about, and um, I'm not afraid of talking about it. I'm always very open about my mental health, but yeah, I did have a real suicidal ideation, and I was about... I was one slip foot away from not being here. And I'm glad I decided to come back over, and I um, got back to my flat... And my, I was living out of a box room in a friend's flat at the time. Um, and I got pushed my bed up against the radiator and I climbed into bed and I shivered for a day and a half. I was so drunk and I was so cold, like cold to my bone because I didn't go out with a proper coat because I didn't expect to be out too late. Um, and yeah, it, it, that was when I decided to go seek therapy. And, I, and I've been seeing my therapist for five years now. And she's done the world good. She's helped me with a lot of my mental health issues. So... That's the kind of the conclusion of the song, where the sunlight comes out at the end. In in four minutes' time. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a seven and a half minute long song or something like that. It's a fucking big song. <laughs> Worth listening to if you like your big power metal with fancy keyboards in it. Oh, thank yeah. you for sharing. No, I'm always happy to share my mental health struggles and if anyone ever has any mental health struggles you're always welcome to speak to me about it I always try to be open about things um, but we can we can kick it in for the rise for the last one yep I was guessing that's the lowest of the low that's the lowest of the low so we're going to bring it right back up uh, with In Walks Barbarella by Clutch so 
2018, I had the lowest of the low. Started to kind of pick myself up, went to therapy, moved out of my friend's flat, got my own place, changed jobs, started working on myself. About almost a year to the day after that horrible night, I went on a date with someone. Um, and this song reminds me of her, In Walks Barbarella. I met Pip on the 13th of March, 2019, the day before my birthday. Um, and it was love at first sight. And In Walks Barbarella, Pip at the time, she had dyed blonde hair. She had bright white smile, his huge green eyes, um, curvy figure. And she walks in and it's like, you know that really kind of cliched thing where like, we'll go slow motion? Mm. It's kind of like that. Like when I first saw her. And I was like, what the fuck is she doing meeting a fucking tubby arsehole like me? And we started talking, we had a drink, and we got on really well, and the rest has been history. We've been together for four years now. And this song always reminds me of her because she is this vivacious force of energy. She, like, lights up any room she walks into. Like, you know when Pip's arrived. (laughs) She has been my saving grace because... If I'd met her back bef- before I had that incident, she would have fucking hated me. Like she would, she would have really hated me because I was just this miserable little sad sack who could, didn't, wasn't in control of his emotions. And like I wasn't perfect when when I met her. I still I still have constant work to do now, but she felt like my reward for like, this is what you get for working on yourself, for being a better person, for being in touch with your feelings, for being in touch with your emotions, and being in touch with who you are. And because I didn't have so much of that baggage dragging me back, I could just be myself to her. And it... I don't want to say it worked, but it's like, she loved it, you know? And she'd just come out of a like bad breakup just before she met me. And so like I was like a year and a half down the path, the same path that she was on. So like... I was just bigging her up, and she was bigging me up, and we've so over the last few years we've just been helping each other, and it's it's worked wonderfully, and we're very happy together. And she's been my second chance, so yeah. And yeah, like I say, she is just vivacious and full of life. So yeah, she 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 needs like a clutch style kind of bass line just as she walks around. <laughs> she's got a groove to her. <laughs> Listen to Clutch so, for yeah, years. That was it's, it's a great song. Oh, Clutch are great, man. We've got one song called um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's it, it, it's it's basically the, the idea of like um, his, his granddaddy's farm and like there's lawyers in the barn, but he's treating them like zombies. So it's like like blood, bloodthirsty litigators. <laughs> he's got that thing has got a very very interesting turn of phrase. Um. But yeah, that, so yeah, she. This kind of like as the film ends, you know, the happy couple walking off into the sun kind of thing, like starting the next chapter of their life, waiting for the sequel. <laughs> but ultimately, kind of capping off a tumultuous kind of thirty odd years of someone's life. Yeah. Am I going to end the film with this one? Yeah, we're going to end the film with "Wish You Were Here" by Pink Floyd. For no other reasons, I think it's a wonderful song. It's a beautiful song. And I think no matter where you are in life, there's always someone someone you wish was with you. 
whether it's someone you've lost either through death or just someone you've fallen out with or just someone you don't keep in touch anymore. There's always a situation in your life, no matter who you're with, you always kind of, there's probably always someone that you would wish was with you. And I, every time I listen to this song, I always feel a little bit wistful and always think of like the people who've kind of come and gone from my life. I'm a big believer that you don't, it's very rare to have friends for life. That a lot of friends come into your life for a reason or for a period and then leave your life. And that's perfectly normal. Uh, I only have maybe two or three very long-term friends. But I'm good with that because people ebb and flow. People come, people go. and some. But sometimes I will be in a situation I'll think, I wish Chris was here or I wish Dave was here or whatever, you know? And... Mm-hmm. That's what this song means to me. And I know it's not the the, me, the full meaning and intention of the song, but this is kind of how I feel when I listen to it. But it is just a beautiful song, and one of Pink Floyd's best. Yeah. Which is a lot to say for a band as good as Pink Floyd. <laughs> it's probably their least proggy song, I think. <laughs> it's one of their straight-up songs. Yeah, it should have been a single. They tried to position it as a single, but it's it's got that two minute long intro of radio noise. <laughs> I think a lot of people do treat it as a single these days, though, in the t- in times of streaming. Yeah. Because it... it was the name of the album, wasn't it? Wish you were here. Yeah, wish you were here. Yeah, one of my favorite albums. It's a phenomenal album. I think this this one's also kind of like my favorite of Dave Gilmore's voice. I think this is like I think the best he's probably ever sung. Got let me throw the entire song now. <laughs> yeah, you've got to. It's the law. I think over the course of all my podcasts, I've had this played maybe two or three times. Yeah, it's a classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. Those are all in the credits. Let everyone know where you can be found online. Yeah, so you can find me in a multitude of places. Um, if you go to modernescapism.co.uk, you can find my podcasting efforts with Modern Escapism and as the Dungeon Master for Do Dragon Stream Score Cheap. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at, at GadgetTheDM, where you can see my daily artist artisanal efforts as I as I continue my challenge to draw something every single day for this year. Uh, and you can also check out YouTube videos of me doing some of the more complicated pieces and speed paints um, if you search on YouTube for Gadget 8-Bit. Yeah, I'm fucking slutting all over the place at the minute. <laughs> you can also buy my book if you want to read something that I wrote when I was in the middle of a de- post-divorce depression. It's called The Logan Prophecy and it's on Amazon. <laughs> that's an angry book. Like, that's that's um that's white pearl black oceans era that that's that's a sad time. <laughs> okay, thank you for coming yeah. today. I think you're gonna get into heaven based on the fact that you had this song playing last. Oh, marvelous! You could have said that's anything a, for, for the rest of the show and be like this one. Yep, cool, go. <laughs> well, it's always a ple- always a pleasure to come on the show. I really do like you like what you do. So it's uh, I, I enjoy being part of the weirdness. And hearing your cat crying in the background.
please visit TotalCultZone.com for all things related to the show. That's TotalCultZone.com.